0: The Oklahoma City Thunder fall just short against the Atlanta Hawks, but SGA duels with Trey Young and looks like a superstar, and Jalen Williams flashes his all-star potential and defensive profile. Plus, what was impressive about Josh Giddey's night despite the box score? We'll talk about all that on today's Locked on Thunder podcast.
1: You are Locked on Thunder, your daily Oklahoma City Thunder podcast. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day.
0: Let's get it going on the Lockdown Thunder Podcast, on the Lockdown Podcast Network, your team every day. I am your host, media member and editor-in-chief over at thunderousintentions.com, Ryland Stiles. You can follow me on Twitter at Ryland underscore Styles. Follow the show on Twitter at Lothunderpod and email the show, Pod at gmail.com. On today's show, brought to you by FanDuel, we're going to dive into the Oklahoma City Thunder falling just short against the Atlanta Hawks and SGA and Trey Young put on a show in the Paycom Center. Jalen Williams flashes that all-star potential, and Josh Giddy struggles for the first time in over 20 games, but there was still a positive sign to take away from Giddy's game. Today's show is brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook, the official sportsbook of Locked On. Make every moment more by visiting fanduel.com slash locked on today to get started. I want to thank you so much. For listening to Locked On Thunder, subscribe for free across all podcasting platforms so you never miss an episode, including on YouTube. And let's dive in to SGA. He is the big story tonight. He looked like a superstar. And I get it for those of you that listen every single day and, and watch every Thunder game. Uh, this is a bit old habit. But when you watch SGA go step for step with Trey Young, a, 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 you know, Prolific score, somebody who has already gotten uh, his flowers and attention from the national media, and you see SGA play better than Trey Young, and, and I think that's fair to say. Despite losing the game, I think he outplayed Trey Young in this one. It just continues to remind you the significant strides that SGA has made, and it's significant in the sense of it all came together all at once, and just it, it creates a monumental leap in terms of statistics and in terms of eye tests, but he had all these individual parts of his game well before this year, but now it's all just meshing together. I'm not sure what more you're going to need to see from SGA to crown him a superstar. So if you're hesitant about that phrasing, I would love to know why. Uh, he's played half of a season of a sample size worth of, of this kind of production, and really, if you go back to the to the season last year, where he averaged over 30 points since the all-star break last year, which was at that point, you know, a small sample size, I think it was like, what, 15 games. And now he's doing it again for uh, however many games he's played this season. That sample size continues to grow. And for the majority of the game, he was the lone source of offense. Now, the Thunder eventually settled in, especially uh, whenever they won that run in the fourth quarter after the Hawks made their run in the fourth quarter. But for the majority of the game, he was the, the, the true lone source of offense, which you know, might surprise people, but that hasn't always been the case over these last 20, 23 games. And he still was able to pull off some incredibly tough shots. And, and let's just get into it. 31 dunks on the year, by far a career high. His career high but previously was 23. He's dunking more in these games, and that is just continuing to display how he's gotten better athletically and explosively, despite it not popping off at you because it's so smooth and because it's so effortless looking, uh, you know, on TV, but SGA is a really good athlete. And he's showing also better finishing. Not only the sense of the ball's going in more at the rim, that's obvious, but he is getting better at getting to his spots that he wants to get on, get on the floor. And, and you can't really do much to stop him from getting to his spots. In fact, so far, good luck stopping him bringing the spots. No one really has Memphis gave him some trouble with their length and their size. The heat zone has given him some trouble, but in general, it's incredibly difficult to stop SGA from getting where he wants to go on the court. And he's adding more and more moves to his bag. And remember it's less than a year ago that we were discussing SGA. And the only way that people nationally talked about SGA was, Oh, he's kind of funky. That's all they really said about his, about his overall scoring ability. He just somehow is herky jerky and scores. No one could really uh, put it into words or put it into perspective SGA now has a really, really deep repertoire of how to score. He has the mid-range shot. He has the rim shot, but it's mid-range step backs. It's these turnaround baseline fall-away jumpers. It's getting to the rim and dunking. It's the Euro step that he uses. It's the, it's the step through that he uses that, that gets you caught in the air. And then once you once you jump, not, not just jump into you like most players do, but he can just, once he gets you in the air, he can just step around you and get the shot off. It, it's hitting contested jumpers, and getting you on your heels to where he looks like he's going to attack downhill, stopping on a dime, pulling up in the mid-range. Like, he has a legit offensive arsenal. It's not just change of pace. He still has the change of pace. He still uses the change of pace, but it's more so a more cohesive um, arsenal of, of, of abilities to score. And in this game, he showed another one. That, that little gather step, shuffle, Euro step was just amazing on his way to the rim. He finished the second quarter. With three straight and ones, it it was incredible watching him take on that contact and finish through it. In the first half, Shea had twenty six points, and he had so many tough mid range jumpers. Took so much contact at the rim, and he continues to show that elite playmaking. Like playmaking for him. Is probably the biggest jump he's made from from the perspective of his handles have gotten better and his passing has gotten better and it's it's not the one we talk about because it's not like the the leap in assist total is not that great in terms of average per game the way the points are but nutmegging Clint Capella on that Kenny Hustle cutting layup and, and and making that uh perfect you know entry pass and the, the way that he was dishing to to Usman Jang whenever he got doubled in the paint like it is. Awesome to watch him play make, and especially in the fast break. Like, think about how often this team gets out and runs. Think about how often this team is in the fast break and, and Shay's initiating that. It usually, 99.999% of the time, is ran to perfection. Like, I cannot think off the top of my head of one time where he's blown a fast break, which sounds simple, but it happens around the league all the time, including with Stars. His decision-making, his passing, his dribbling has all gotten a lot better this season. It's all kind of come together for him at once, plus... His offensive game has come together a lot as well. I need more SGA uh, and Jalen Williams pick and roll. I think that that is phenomenal. And he kept up his defensive prowess in this one, blocking John Collins uh, with two blocks on the game, two steals on the game, 36 7 assists, five rebounds, just four turnovers, nine for 10 from the line, 59% from the floor. You cannot... Be better than that, really. I mean, when you're scoring 36 points and making over half your shots, almost 60% of the shots that you take, that is absurd efficiency for a guard. Like, like big men, it's a little easier because you're scoring inside the whole time. Uh, it's hard for anyone to do, but like especially a guard. Now, with all that being said, the Thunder, take them out to start the fourth quarter like they always do. The Hawks go on a run, get up 15 points in the fourth quarter. The bench unit then gives a counter, a counter punch, and so SGA leaves the game down five, and returns to the game down six, and the Thunder eventually get this game to a one point game with 15 seconds left. And at the you know, the Hawks were at the free throw line. Mark and Shea were discussing what to do. Uh, Mark told us post game that he told Shea to go for the two to extend the game because at that point the Hawks have no timeouts left. So it's going to be hard for me to get the, get the ball in bounds. And they wanted to put that pressure on the Hawks, and then you foul, and then you still have the timeout to advance the ball the next time. Also mentioned that when you call the timeout to advance the ball, it's it's harder and harder to get the ball to and uh, It's easier to deny him the ball whenever you call the timeout to advance the ball. And so that's a trend that I've picked up on, so I was glad that he explained it, is that it seems like if he can help it, despite being an incredible coach in terms of out-of-timeout plays, like he, he calls – Brilliant plays, and we've seen it work, especially with Giddy as the inbounder. Despite that, he likes to let his players just play. Like despite that, he he oftentimes is left not calling the timeout and just letting the guys go through it. Like in Miami, whenever it was up to Shea and he chose a step back three over a two down one, that Mark had a timeout to use. He didn't use it, and so that in and of itself, it's just a philosophy. Like, would you call the timeout, would you not, in your personal preference? That's not like a right or wrong answer to me. Now, with Shea hunting the the N1, hunting the two, that was the plan. Like, that was the plan for the Thunder in that moment. Uh, and it goes back to, it's a make-or-miss league. Uh, in my opinion, I would have called the timeout to advance the ball. I would have settled for the final shot of the, of the game one way or the other in the sense of, we're either going to tie this game from the three-point line or the game's over. We're going to go to overtime or the game's over. Um, but I see the explanation from Mark to justify why they did it this way. So it comes down to make or miss league. So let's say that I got my way and that Mark agreed, hey, call the timeout, advance the ball to half court, Giddy inbounds it, you have Isaiah Joe on the floor, you have the attention drawn to SGA if you can get the ball into him, They collapse on him, you kick out the Isaiah Joe, boom, it goes overtime, and uh, who knows what can happen in overtime because you had at that point all the momentum, the crowd was into it, it was the loudest this place has been all season long. That's great, right, In, in fantasy world. Now let's say I get my way, calls a timeout, does all that, but Isaiah Joe misses the three, or SGA misses a step back three, or the shot misses, all right, and you're left now with draining 15 seconds, all for a missed three. Does that make you feel any better? That they missed a three instead of hunting the two to extend the game? Again, it's personal preference. It's it's about the process of getting there. And I find it interesting to get these little tidbits of how Mark will view the games of consequence and view the games that matter and what his philosophies are in these settings. But I know it's really emotional for these games, especially as you look at the standings and you want the Thunder to get the playoffs and, you, and every game is so dire for the standings in the Western Conference. Like, you can go from... The sixth best lottery odds to the sixth seed in the playoffs in a matter of a week. I get that, but it comes down to if he makes the shot or not. Because let's face it, if SGA makes that makes that layup, even if they don't give him the foul, if they just makes the layup, which would have been very hard. I'm not saying that he should have made the layup. It's it's a hard shot to make. Probably shouldn't have even made it in general. But in general, let's just say he got a he got a open layup and made it, and it, and it worked to perfection for Mark. And now the Thunder are, you know, ahead. At that point, because they were down by one, they still got to defend. Hawks still got to get the ball in. They just extend the game in the sense, I mean, I'm sorry, they're, they're behind by one because they're down by three. Hawks get the ball in, they foul. Now the Thunder are right back down by three or two, depending on how they make the free throw situation. Like, it could have gone either way. It's personal preference. Let's talk Jalen Williams, who is an all-star um, caliber of player in this game and his potential for the future, as well as why I think that this game, despite not being his career high in points, was his best game overall. But first, I want to say right now, better good friends over at FanDuel. Folks, the NFL playoffs are here. We are really excited about our new sports betting partner for Locked On because they are the number one sportsbook in America, FanDuel. If you are new to FanDuel, that's even better because they have so many great features that make betting on sports fun and easy. New customers join today and get started on a $150 in free bets guaranteed when you place your first bet of $5 or more, but you only need to do $5 to get the $150 in free bets just by signing up at FanDuel.com slash locked on. That's FanDuel.com slash locked on. FanDuel has all your favorite bets from Moneyline to pick spreads and player props. Also, if you want an even bigger payout, combine your bets for a chance at the same game parlay Let's uh, have a bigger payout. And you could go right now to FanDuel because they have so many great lines out there just for the NBA games tomorrow. But also, looking ahead to the weekend, the NFL Conference Championships, Kansas City, despite having Mahomes, despite being at home, plus one. I know Mahomes' is bummed out right now, but when you get Kansas City as the underdog at home, you kind of have to swing that way. Although I think that the Bengals do have... Casey's number, so that's an interesting one to go look at. So make sure that you do not miss out. Place your first 5 bet and get $150 in free bets, win or lose, at fanduel.com slash locked on. Make every moment more with Fanduel, the official sports partner of the NFL and Locked On Podcast Network. We're back on the Lockdown Thunder Podcast. On the Lockdown Podcast Network, your teams every day. Let's talk Jalen Williams. He flashed all-star potential in this game. And let's start defensively. So the steal of, of Trey Young that led to the fast break slam to cut the lead down to one point will be the exclamation point on this game for Jalen Williams. But he had four steals in this one. And he swatted Trey Young. They can call it a lob play. Whatever. Throw him a block in there, too. Four steals and a block. I know it's not going to be the official um, stat for the for the box score, but they're gonna call that a lob play, whatever. It leads to it to a Jalen Williams um massive Duncan transition, which is another energy-giving play for him, more on that later. But defensively, he had some really good shot contests because of his length and his and his just overall frame on Trey Young on DeJounte Murray. And he has such a great defensive profile. I think that he cares about that side of the floor a lot. Now, he's talked before about how that's what kind of got him on the floor initially. At Santa Clara, like I think that he really does care defensively. He has the tools and the measurements to be good defensively, and he has an organization and a coaching staff that prides themselves on defense and developing defense in general uh, as far as every player goes. So when you give a, a team that specializes in defensive development a player who has all the intangibles and all the tools to be good defensively and that wants to be good defensively, I really believe you can take it to the bank that eventually... Jalen Williams would be a really, really good defender that can switch really well in the, in the NBA and play the perfect modern style of basketball in this pick-and-roll league where you just can't hunt him because he can just switch on to any position that you want to. Plus, with those length, lengthy arms, play in the passing lanes, match up with the guys who might be faster than him, him by a step, but he can just re, but he can just kind of regain his his spacing or positioning by that length of his, of his body. I think that he has such a great defensive profile and will be such a really good defender that we should start there. When we talk about his potential. And I think that the the energy that he gives on dunks, he had five in this game, on steals, on just locking up on the on the defensive floor and he's on an island at times. That energy plays that he does with the hustle plays of like he's diving on loose balls and he's doing all the dirty work at, at times when the opportunity when the opportunity presents itself. I think that all of that might have been the reason why Kenny Hustle, way back in the in the training camp portion of the season, said that he had all star potential. Because like all that stuff probably resonates really well with Kenny Hustle, especially when you can score the way that Jalen Williams can score. And despite this not being his career high night in points, I think that this was his best offensive game. 24 points, 2 assists, 5 rebounds, 1 for 1 from 3, 68% from the floor. He had that floater working in the lane. He had this move where he just bumped his defender off his spot with his shoulder and then took a follow away mid-range jumper at the nail, which just really goes to show his shot-making ability, and his, and his ability to score at all three levels. Five dunks in this game, and every dunk just gave so much life to the game, to the crowd, to his teammates, because he's not only dunking, he's really just punching at home, and as he's doing it, he's emoting so well, where he's screaming into the crowd, he's getting his guys going. And I think that that translates and allows the Thunder to make some of these runs. Because then you want to help match him in that in that intensity. You want to help match him in that effort. You want to help match him with, with, with picking up the pace. Like There was a moment here where you let the Hawks get up 15 points where everyone in the building, everyone in the media, everybody on Twitter thought that the game slipped away. I thought that the game slipped away. I thought that the game was over. Like they, they, The Hawks made their run. They gave a knockout punch in the fourth quarter. But these guys never stopped fighting to where they got from a 15-point deficit to start the fourth quarter all the way down to a one-point deficit at the end. And a lot of that is because J-Dub continued to just stay where his feet are, as Mark would say, as a Markism, uh, stay where his feet are and just keep chipping away. And so one steal turns into two, a dunk in transition turns into another one, and all of a sudden now you're back in it. Like all of a sudden now uh, the game's no longer over, it no longer feels uh, you know, subsided to being over. And a big portion of why I think that this was the best game of his career so far, is that up until this point, the only real criticism, I guess you could call it, of Jalen Williams has been about he needs to be more aggressive. He needs to be more assertive. If it's your night, it's your night. And Mark's talked about this, where Jalen Williams is on the side of the spectrum where he likes to just fit in. He likes to kind of do his part, fit in, and do what it takes. Whereas Lou Dort will be more loud, aggressive, we want to get his shots, when it, want to do uh, kind of more, 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 more. you need to push both of those guys and both of those type of players to the middle and get them closer to kind of uh, each other. And for Jalen Williams, the big thing has been, hey, he scores 14 points in the first half, and then the second half he takes two shots and it, like, it does not finish the job. In this game, 11 points in the first half – 13 points in the second half. And I asked Mark Mark about that a couple weeks ago whenever they played the Wizards at home uh, about how how he's getting better at rounding out those games half to half. And Mark agreed that, that Jalen Williams is getting better at that and, and getting better offensive assertion and offensive force is, is kind of the buzzword that Mark and Cam Woods of the Blue Coach use when discussing these type of things. I thought this was the best game for him offensively as an offensive force player because he still was playing inside of himself. He still... Was taking good shots. He still was not just demanding the ball and putting the team in, in peculiar situations by taking bad shots. He's still was just playing within the flow of the offense. But yet, he never shied away from it. And the team found him. And it results in his best, more complete scoring. He scored at all three levels, which is huge. And I think that the balanced halves really bridged this team to keep them in the game. Because we mentioned before how the team really struggled to score without Shea in there. And scoring at all three levels is huge for him. I asked him after the game about the energy that he brings, because I've been noting it on Twitter and on the podcast about the energy. But I want to hear from him, like, what is, does he agree with that assessment? And he mentioned how he hangs his hat on that. Like, he hangs his hat on bringing the energy, and he believes that if you work hard, bring energy, the rest will fall into place. And, and I think that you're seeing that from him. I think that that's why um, he's able to he's able to bounce back. He mentioned this, too, in the postgame game. You know, he's had games all over the place where he scored 27 points. He's had games we scored one point. And I think that what keeps you from sliding in the negative direction, right, how many times have we seen a young player have a have a game where they score one point and they shot poorly, like he did a couple nights ago, and then they let that turn into two games and three games and four games, and then all of a sudden you know, you've played a week worth of bad basketball or, four, or, or two weeks or three weeks worth of bad basketball. I think that what keeps him um, steady is the fact that he puts a focus on his energy and just allows the rest of it to to play as it lies. And some nights he'll pop off for for 27, some nights he'll pop off for 14 and, or 12 and and do some other things for the team. But I really like what he provides for OKC, and I really think that he can be an all-star caliber player. Like, I, I think that you are seeing where he can playmake with SGA in the pick and roll, he can uh, score at all three levels, uh, he, he's able to uh, score efficiently. Like, he is one of the most efficient rookies that you're going to find in, in terms of uh, most rookies coming in and struggle a bit against NBA defenses and he he shoots really efficiently from the two point he has not came around from the three point yet even though he's 1 for 1 in this game but from inside the arc he's incredible in this game he missed five shots one of them was a as he called it smoked layup on that lob pass from Giddy at the ATO at the buzzer so you take that away if you want to and now you're down to four shots of like actual meaningful um, basketball that was kind of a more desperation play to see if you could um, get back into it as you're down uh, at that point big from against the Hawks. I think that Jalen Williams is a massive hit, and I still think that he gets this this rap of being overlooked, maybe uh, even by Thunder fans, because he wasn't the prize of the draft. He was picked at twelve. We forget how many players were picked in that range. Right? Like, if you're picked in that range, you're supposed to be really good. Like, you're supposed to be a high-end starter. You're supposed to be I'm an all-star, depending on the draft class, quality, and all that. Shea was picked at 11th. Like, this stuff happens where where you just all of a sudden get, you know, whatever you want to call it, lucky that a guy falls, uh, lucky that you scouted him for so long and were able to find him, whatever the case is, to where even at 12 you get an all-star caliber, caliber player. Now, as I've quantified before, or qualified before, me calling him an all-star caliber player does not mean he's going to make an all-star team maybe his whole time in OKC because if you really look at it, XJ will be an all-star routinely at this point. Uh, if Chet is who we think he is, he'll be an all-star. Josh giddy over the last 23 games look, looks like an all-star. So it's hard to get one, two all-stars, much less three, four. So just because he's playing on a really good team might mean that he doesn't become an all-star. And I used the example of Mike Conley before. Um, of that fact, where he's always played an all star level, but didn't make his first all star game um, until that year that the that the all star game was played after after the bubble season. But still, in terms of the caliber of player, Jalen Williams is really good, incredible, especially if you agree with me that he's going to be a good defender. If he's a really good defender, like I think he can be, plus he has his efficient scoring. There's a, there, there's really nothing he lacks at that point because he can show that playmaking as we've seen him do this season. He's he's sprinkled in a little bit of everything this year, scoring, playmaking, rebounding. I mean, he had that 11-assist game against Toronto, seven assists against Memphis. Like He's shown that playmaking along with his scoring, along with his rebounding, steals, blocks, efficient, score, you know, efficient shooting. He's shown it all, and I really believe it. Let's talk Josh Giddy and the impact that he had in this game, despite the awful start, and why I think that that's so important for buying into
1: Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.
0: We're back on the Locked On Thunder Podcast. On the Locked On Podcast Network, your team's every day. Thank you so much for making us your first listen every single morning, every single day. We're here for you, talking Thunder basketball. For your next listen, check out the Game to Game podcast. They're going to recap the NBA from the night before in 15 minutes or less. Right now, we're going to recap Josh Giddey's night. 16 points, 8 rebounds, 6 assists, 2 steals, 2 turnovers, 2 fouls. And, And... when you look at that, pretty standard, uh, even for as great as he's been since December 1st, pretty in line with what he has been doing, except for the 42% from three. Like, I mean, I'm sorry, 42% from the floor. He's He's been a really efficient score um, over this stretch, and this 42% is not up to par. What I think is so encouraging is, in the first half, okay, these are his first half numbers, two for four shooting, five assists, four rebounds, a steal, and nothing was falling at the rim. And it left us all collectively saying, at least me, he just doesn't have it tonight. And he's been on an incredible tear, and he's gone 23 games worth of a, of a great season, um, of, a, of a great stretch. Tonight's just not the night, and you hope to bounce back against Cleveland. But Josh didn't play that way. He came out of halftime, and in the second half, he had 60% from the floor with 12 points, four rebounds, and a, a steal, and an assist. That is an amazing job and an amazing sign of maturity for a 20-year-old guard who, who had to have been riding high coming into this game because he's playing the best ball of his career and he's getting recognition from it nationally. Kevin O'Connor is, is drafting him second in a redraft for, for that draft class. He's got to be riding high and at an all-time high confidence-wise in the NBA. And to start the first half the way that he started, as you're trying to help this team keep winning, as you're trying to uh, turn that one win in Denver into the two, it had to be frustrating. It had to be um, a downer, right? But then at halftime, to not just sit there and sulk or not just sit there and wave the white flag and say, yep, not my night tonight. Hopefully, I can be better on a Friday. But to continue to, like I said with Jada, continue to chip away, continue to um, be where your feet are and have that zero-and-zero mindset, which sounds so eye-rolly and sounds so hokey. But when you're around this team and you watch them every day, it, it translates Like the, like the message is getting through. These aren't just throwaway lines. And, and I don't blame you if you think that they are. I don't blame you if you think that the Sam Presti line about they're drafting people and then players was, was corny. I had the same reaction to these things. But being around them, talking to them, seeing them play, it's true. Like, they're great people. And just within the, within the lines, within the whistles, you're seeing them execute what Mark wants them to do. Because a lot of players wouldn't have bounced back from that first half. A lot of players wouldn't have continued to keep fighting in this game the way that Josh Goody did. You've got to give him credit for that. And I think that despite this not being up to the incredible stretch of 23 games that he just went on, this this contest, it was still very important for his development because it showed you what he can be moving forward, and that's a player that can turn it on at a moment's notice and, and that you can never really count out. You can never really say, it's just not his night. Because all you can do is keep plugging away and keep trying to get to the rim and keep trying to score at the rim. And eventually, the rim will reward you for it. And some nights, the rim's a cruel mistress and you're just not going to get the bounce. It's, it's going to go both ways. But one thing is, Josh giddy seems like the kind of guy that's not going to ever quit in the middle of a game. And he talked about how he's limiting turnovers over these last few games. And I think I think that, again, he mentioned something that shows a sign of maturity, that he's no longer going for the home run pass every single time. That's something that the coaches have talked to him about. You know It's okay to make that connecting pass, that hockey assist pass. You don't got to go for the home run shot every time. And when you go for that home run pass, it might be eye-popping and jaw-dropping and work as an assist, but there's a lot of times it's going to work as a turnover. So balancing when to take that big swing uh, has been a big thing for him, just like balancing shot selection has been big for him. And hockey assist has been one thing that I've been looking at and saying he's gotten a lot better at over these last few games in the sense of like orchestrating the offense that way and, and trusting, hey, if I go to Lou Dort here in the middle of the paint, he's going to kick it out to Isaiah Joe in the corner. I don't have to try to do it myself. And that's helped the offense get in rhythm. And that's helped the Thunder increase their assist total as well and limit their turnover total um, as well as the team. The biggest thing for me is he also, there at two for nine stretch, never sulked or never kind of got outside of himself. He kept making the right reads, making good passes, taking quality shots, mixing it up in the, on the rebounding glass. And he just kept competing. It's so easy whenever you're in that slump to just, play outside yourself because you're trying to press and just get right back on track. But you just let the game come to him more, which was impressive. And the layup at the end, the two of them that got the Thunder back in this game were awesome. And he got hip-checked. I mean, he got hip-checked, and, and it could have been an and-one that would eventually tie the game. Look, I'm not going to be one to like talk about officiating or like blame everything on officiating. All I'm going to say is I, I just don't understand how Trey Young can get those fouls and you set the precedent for for it, right? That's my biggest thing. Let, let's start there. My biggest thing with the officiating is just that that the officiating crew tonight set the precedent for: hey, if you touch Trey Young, he's going to the line. If you if you if you have those little ticky tack slaps, we're going to reward free throws for it. That's perfectly fine. Those are judgment calls. Those are things that are well within the right of the officials. But when you set that tone and you set that precedent, you then can't say that Josh Giddy was not fouled. That he got hip checked for his layup. You then can't say that, that SGA was not fouled. The three layups he had down beneath the basket with 15, with 15 seconds left. Like if you were calling it that way the entire time, that's a different story. But in the construct of this specific game, those had been fouls all night for Atlanta. Those have to be fouls for OKC on that end of the floor uh, in those moments. And again, that's not why the Thunder lost. I mean, the Thunder had many offensive lulls that they could have broken out of. They, they, they could have done some things differently down the stretch that we talked about before. But it is important to note that like the the, fr- the overarching frustration is not, oh, we should have had the game had it not been for those refs. It's just consistency of like, how do you want this game to be played tonight? And then stick with it. Because for 47 minutes, you wanted the game to be played where you had control as an official and you were able to send guys to the line at every single piece of contact. And then for the last minute, you completely change your philosophy. That's just where it gets frustrating for fans to to sit at home and watch. But in general, that's not why the Thunder lost. It's just an important note for how the game actually ended uh, in this one. Some notes: Baisley was the right call. Baisley was the right call to close out the game because he is so good defensively. I mean, switching one through five, uh, he was huge on on Trey Man. I'm sorry, Trey Young, and huge on Dejounte Murray, huge on Clint Capella. Like he was just all over the place. Best defender on the floor tonight. Uh, bar none, and, and Lou Dort was awesome too with, with offensively, he shot three for six from three and had great rim decisions um, in this game. And the Thunder did not cl- go back to him and not close with Lou Dort, and Mark explained that as, hey, that group we had on the floor to to make that comeback from down 15 in the fourth quarter was rolling, just didn't want to just didn't want to do too much to mix it up, and so uh, that's how B- Dort was left on the bench, and Mark explained that's not an indictment on Dort, it's more so a praise of Baisley and a praise of Kenny Hustle, who were out there. Kenny Hustle went 9-7-7. Seven, and seven. Isaiah Joe, 3-7 for seven from 3, drew a charge, but he helps SGA so much, so much, because as a defender, you have to pick, okay, am I going to help off and, and help SGA, and you know, help on SGA and, tra- and trap him and double him and leave Isaiah Joe, or am I going to stick with Isaiah Joe and leave SGA on an island with this guy? And oftentimes, you're going to make that decision too slow. Oftentimes, you're going to be caught in the middle of that decision. And even if you declare your decision... Well, SGA is going to make you pay for it because if you leave him on island one on one, there's not many players in the league that can stop that. If you come crashing down on him, he's shown that improved playmaking to get out to Isaiah Joe, who has shown the ability to to knock down three pointers. Went three for seven tonight. Like Isaiah Joe shows you and and, and really contextualize what I've been saying over the last few few months. SGA is going to get better just as a player as a person. I believe he's not done developing yet. But even if you even if you disagree with me on that fact. What you cannot disagree with, because we've seen the data points for it, as this team around him gets better from shooting beyond the arc, that then makes SGA more productive, SGA better, because you put the defenses in these binds and he's willing to sacrifice, willing to make them pay for it. Uh, Trey Mann had an epic poster and some really good playmaking uh, moments like the behind-the-back pass to Muscala. I'm hoping he gets going from three eventually. Usman Jang played his role well in his first game back in the NBA. Um, great defense on the Hawks, but they made some tough shots over him that... You just got to shrug your shoulders at this team needs more Wiggins. I I I don't care where he was drafted. I don't care where other guys were drafted. I don't care about these you know experiments to an extent. I just want more Wiggins minutes, plus six and fifteen minutes. And it's it's not it's not just about winning games like Wiggins does. Tremendously help you win games, and, and he's and he's shown that with the way that he plays, and especially being unbeaten in the starting lineup. But it's not as though Wiggins is just this like. 37 year old veteran. He he's not some old Paul Watson, right? Like I mean, Paul Watson was old relative to last year's team. Obviously, not old in the sense of um like in the sense of life. He's a twenty he's twenty-eight years old. Like, he's not some old guy like that that just has no shot of being here on the other side of this rebuild. Aaron Wiggins, yes, he's older. He's 24 years old, he's older than other prospects, but Aaron Wiggins, like, can be a legitimate guy whenever this team wants to win games. Because he can play defense so well, because he can shoot 37 percent from three, because he can um, score all three levels, you know, at times, and he's a nice playmaker to keep the offense in fluid motion. Like Wiggins needs to play more, and I'm not saying that just based on pure wins and losses. I'm saying that based upon you might have something here where he, like, he's the guy you need to pick uh, from this group to keep long term. But again, I understand Mark's philosophy. That's his uh, factor, and I agree with it. Um, in and, and the in the sense of Thunder need to circle through a lot of these guys and, and different nights call for different matchups and different players. But I, I, me personally, would prefer more Wiggins minutes. The one thing I think that stands out the most to me, as I, and I hinted at it before with the, the BYU figure on the 0-0 zero zero mentality, every time that Mark says what their point of emphasis is in pregame, the team responds and literally capitalizes it and does it. Like today pregame, he said, hey, I know that we've limited the turnovers. A lot of that's due to because we were playing slower. I I would rather trade in a few turnovers and play a lot faster than what we've been playing. So pick up the pace, so to say. What the team do today? Had an all-out track meet, was, was getting up and down the floors, playing with way more pace than in recent games. So every time that he issues one of these focal points for the game, the Thunder always, always, always cash in on it. His message is getting through. His message is getting bought into. His message is getting executed. And that's all you can ask for as a coach. That's all you can ask for in a coach is for those things to happen. And so I think that it's very important to note that as some people are frustrated with how the game ended, like Mark is a really good coach. Mark is the best coach in Thunder history. Mark is one of the best coaches in the NBA, but he's not going to get that recognition for it because we, because we have to wait as national media, they have to wait to see him in the playoffs where they're willing to go that far and willing to crown him and put him in among some of the top in the league but they've already shown him some some credit in those NBA surveys where they say he's uh, the best uh, ATO coach in the league. So, that being said, the loss stings, but it was still a good game from a lot of different angles. The MVP of the the night is SGA, but uh, he's in the MVP night every single night, so let's go with Jalen Williams as well. Loaded schedule for you. Check out Game to Game right now. A 15-minute or less recap of the association. Friday, we'll have Clemente Almanza join the show of the Norman Transcript. Saturday... Cavs recap. Monday, Michael Martin of the Oklahoman joins the show. Tuesday, Warriors recap. Wednesday, Daniel Bell of the Franchise and Black Sports Online joins the show. Thursday, Hawks recap. I'm sorry, not Hawks recap. Oh, yeah, I don't know. Thursday, they're going to recap the game that play was planned Wednesday against the Rockets uh, for Thursday. Friday, we're going to reevaluate the standings and season outlook, plus a trade deadline primer. So a lot to look forward to five days a week after every single game. Until tomorrow, be good and be good to one another.